Hi friends, welcome to the Oscillator Stone podcast. Today's guest is an I Ching reader, host of the Fuck Suffering podcast, and the author of Oracle of Emergence and Evolutionary I Ching, which is available on Amazon. I'll throw a link in the show notes. She also prides herself on being a very good asshole. So without further ado, here's my friend Ray Hans. Ray Hans, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm, I'm uh middling. <laughs> middling. That's a new word for me. <laughs> middling, muddling, crawling back to my square. <laughs> ah, yeah. Yeah. We were just we were just talking about that before I started recording and it was so so good. And I'm glad I'm kind of glad that it was that little transmission was just for me. Um, but I would also love to talk about um being on your square versus spilling out of your square and, and like the different benefits to that and like what contexts are appropriate for that. It's, it's as the ecology demands, right? It's as causes and conditions. It's what, what are causes and conditions asking of me? How am I emerging from causes and conditions in this moment? Am I, do I have enough of a container around me to fully unfurl into my deepest feminine and just be in that lovely, like gooey, like generous, like that generosity of boundlessness? Mm -hmm. Or do I have to return to the relative and attend to form again? And for me, my practice is learning to walk in the middle so that I have access to both of those energies as as needed. You know what I mean? Like I was telling you recently, I'm having this, my relationship is ending. And so I, I lost that external masculine love, like, like that containment and that feeling of being held and this, this skeleton to like give shape, help give shape to what I was doing. And so now I have to resummon my internal masculine, which is like, like a significant gear shift. And so it was like, I was like, okay, I have to put myself in my own bucket. <laughs> you know? And yeah. it's not that it's not that what fills the bucket is still not as um, gooey and open, but it, 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 I also had to put it in a bucket <laughs> to be able to get right. some things done, to be able yeah. to attend to the chopping of the wood and the carrying of the water, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, I think it, I think this relates to what you mean. Uh, you wrote this piece recently uh, called "How to Be a Good Asshole." Um, How to be? Good yeah, and you you have this phrase where you talk about uh, like your divine sphincter, which I find <laughs> to be just the most delightful thing in the world. Uh, Absolutely, it is. Yeah. It's so necessary. Knowing when to open and when to close, and this this feels very related. And it's not necessarily that you're opening or closing on your square, but like you're opening and you're closing um uh, like your contraction shows you something and I feel sometimes uh, especially like in these po- like polarity conversations that people are having yeah. if you are a woman you're constantly being told you need to be open all the time and that's so destructive um right. it's just like a new form of like old sexism right like you need to be agree more. Uh, just just as destructive as it is to say that like a guy should be um like constantly strong and hard and holding up everything all the time. Like people need to more so think of it. I think how you're thinking of it 
uh, as like, you know, an asshole. Like it, yeah. it I think it, an it asshole open. seems to me the, it, it felt to me like the perfect image. Cause I don't think closing needs to be a contraction. Like your asshole is not dropping turds all over the place. It doesn't have to be contracted to not drop turds all over the place. You know, it can do a very good job of not making a mess while also not being clenched. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's not like a thing of like, oh, I mean, I still feel like clenching and contracting like needs to be addressed and like, let's soften into that. Mm-hmm. Like right now, my, I mean, my asshole is not clenched, but I'm also not making a mess. Mm-hmm. So I see spiritual practice as like, a path to becoming a better asshole. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And I think a lot of these polarity discussions could benefit from understanding that ha- having energetic agility, it, that's mastery. Right. It's not how much of a puddle you can be, how much of the time. That's mm-hmm. not what the feminine is. That's not what the yin is even at. That's not the yin energy. Mm-hmm. Like it's fertile, it's open, it opens and opens and opens and can go all the way down into the dark. It is that soil, but it also moves, you know, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's a, I think it it comes back to that difference between surrender and submission. Mm -hmm. There's a really important nuance between surrender and submission that gets lost in a lot of conversations about the feminine. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's it's easy to dismiss even terminology like the feminine because it's only ever directed at women, and it's right. kind of like very necessary for um, men and anyone really to like absolutely. connect to yin as absolutely an expression right of nature. You know, it's everything. I mean, honestly, I I much prefer yin. I pr- I pr- much prefer the yin and yang terminology because it's free of that of that of those gender roles and the gender politics. Right. That right. we can understand that we're talking about fields like energetic fields. Right. Like you know you don't you don't have a battery that just has two pluses on it or two minuses right. because then you have a dead battery. Right. Like all energy arises from those poles. Right. And we all have access to different amounts of the positive and negative charge. And it's really part of practice to me to, to be able to move, to, to redress that balance between the positive and negative charge or the yin and yang charge. Mm-hmm. But not that I'm just one of those because then I'm a dead battery. Right. Yeah. Well, I love uh, how this leads us into talking about the I Ching because, um, so you're an I Ching reader. And I remember the first live conversation we had together, you talked about the I Ching being um, sort of based on binaries, but not limited to binaries. So uh, how, like, I'm curious how we can learn to deal with um, polarity um, in a more nuanced way. What can we learn from the I Ching? Regards well, the same thing we learned from Taoism is that, you know, poles are not personalities, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, poles are not identities. Mm-hmm. They're always moving. Mm-hmm. We contain multitudes, all of us, all the time, always shifting. So it's like, yeah, today, last week, I was able to really like expand into that deep, like that deep full yin of just like, okay, what's Ooh, so much is being planted here right now. And I, I feel, I feel nur- like I'm nourishing and being nourished at the same time. And just to be wide open with all of it. 
And now I'm like, okay, and now we have to do an audiogram and edit this podcast and get it on YouTube too. And like do all the things, you know, mm-hmm. I don't feel less connected to yin because I'm doing those externally focused young activities. Right. Mm-hmm. I can come right back. I can be like, okay, well, that was good. We did that till noon. Now let's take a nap or like listen to something or listen to some music or read, read a little bit, you know, and just have understand that replenishment is essential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My tarot practice has helped me um, understand the sort of <clears throat> complexity of polarity, even though, you know, there are two poles the interaction between those poles, um, that's sort of the field of emergence, I would say, is like, Absolutely. you don't know what's going to happen from the interaction, Absolutely. you can't really label it, um, Absolutely. recognize it as it's arising, right? And so like in tarot, what's really beautiful about tarot is that um, you have uh, four suits and then you have um, four um, court cards in every suit. And each one is an expression of a different element, right? Earth, water, mm-hmm. fire, air. But then right. there's like a secondary element, right? <clears throat> so you'll have like fire of earth, right? Fire of water or something. So that's how those sort of pol- polarities interact in a way where fire of water is different from earth of water, right? To right. But both water, but, um, but, um, uh, it's like a polarity within a polarity, right? And then from there, right. it's like infinite sort of nuanced, um, subtle, it, it can only be really be felt, right? And so like after exactly. like reading tarot for, I guess, almost like seven years now, I, it's like, I can just feel it. And that's the point I would say, of right. saying, um, is to be able to just feel uh, the subtlety of absolutely um, what the symbol is suggesting. Um, I a hundred percent feel that way about each speaking a language, right? So uh, if I say a word, you're going to, you know, interpret the word, not just based on what the word means in the dictionary, but on how I say it, what context it's being. The valence, the valence of the word. Absolutely. All of that, you know, and that's true with tarot or I'm assuming also with I Ching, all forms of divination. Um, This is true with astrology. Each hexagram is made of two trigrams and each of the trigrams is of an element. Mm -hmm. So you have like the element, the, the way the trigrams stack on top of each other gives you sort of the energetic weather report of that hexagram. Yeah. So like if it's fire over water or water over water is hexagram 29, which is like shape shifting. So it's like, can, wow, fluidity is really the only way to turn peril into adventure is through total fluidity. Now it's water over water and you could drown or you could learn how to shape shift and float, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so yeah. like those, ele- those elements, it seems so simple in the I Ching because you either have this open line or a closed line. You have a yin line or a yang line. Yeah. But from that pure simplicity, just like binary code zeros and ones, all of this glorious complexity emerges. Right. Yeah. But it's also, there's only 64 hexagrams. Mm -hmm. And I have yet to be in a situation where the, that is not matched by one of the hexagrams and some corresponding transforming lines. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it, it is such a weirdly complete map of the human condition. Mm-hmm. Like there are only so many ways a dandelion can grow. So right. there are only so many choices in our human lives. Like 
There are only so many kinds of crossroads we come up to and only so many choices we can make at each one. Right. Mm -hmm. But that, that realization is the better part of freedom in some ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, That reminds me of sort of something that I talk about, uh, the paradox of limitation, right? Um, So this is, this comes up a lot when people uh, have critiques of something like either like, you know, binaries or, um, or like personality typology or something that has a clear limit, right? And uh, this could just be like the Capricorn moon and me speaking, but like the paradox of limitation is that like the limitation leads you to freedom um, or the experience of freedom, right? Uh, because very Saturn, that's very yeah, Saturn. Exactly. <laughs> right? about it. Like if I were completely free, like actually free, none of the atoms that make up the molecules that make up the cells of my body would be able to stay together. They wouldn't be able to hold. Right. So like, the limitation is like the togetherness, the sticking togetherness, right. Um, the, the foundation of this apartment that I'm in, right that's a limitation, like, because if it's not allowed to move, you know, it's, it has to be, well, it's also a ga- It's also a gathering and a coalescence and it, right. and it is free. It is freely gathering in this moment. Right. So it does, it doesn't right. preclude freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, it's just what it's, what is emerging from the causes and conditions of this moment. Right. So it's not unfree. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. just, what what's being co-created mm-hmm. exactly yeah so the spontaneous order um sort of aspect of of systems uh is i guess like my favorite thing to appeal to oh my god you know? it is my yeah. favorite thing yeah. i read <laughs> i read this i read my first book about like emergence and biological systems when i was like right around the right around the same time that i read um uh rupert sheldrake's uh, about the morphogenetic fields. And, right, and I was exactly. just like, okay, yeah, this is the model of reality that makes sense. And then when I found Buddhism, I was like, oh, this is a, a very complete map of this that has been around for so long already. I was like, oh my God, why is Rupert Sheldrake so controversial when this whole thing has been, we've already done this. Right. <laughs> we've already right. said this <laughs> just in a religious context rather than a scientific right. context. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, okay. Well, if we like, that's why I love EO Wilson's concept of consilience, because it's like, we have to let these things work together. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and that's why I'm so glad to be alive in what I consider like this great age of synthesis mm-hmm. where we realize, oh my God, the limits of specialization have gone too far. And like, it's, it's crumbling. Like we understand that that's not a model of reality anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah. that, that was the position that was the limitations we were comfortable with as observers. Mm-hmm but the limitations of the observer were now being enforced on the map of reality. Mm-hmm. And so now we can step back and be like, whoa, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Once we open to the synthesis and the ecological synthesis that's emerging around us all the time, it's like, holy fuck. Mm-hmm. We actually have a chance to do better, mm-hmm. but it, it's gonna take everybody opening to that. Yeah. And who the fuck is willing? Right. Well, I think, I don't remember where I read this, but I read this because, um, you know, I, I I dabble in the systems theory thing, but it's more systems theory stuff is more so like me finally feeling like I'm not crazy and broken for the way that I think, as opposed to me learning something new, <laughs> right? Because that's, that's just like a, 
yeah, I think relationally, I can't like the part of the reason why Absolutely. I struggled with, um, with algebra, but not geometry was because algebra was linear and I couldn't relate. I didn't know how to relate it to things. Geometry, you can clearly see the relationship between things, right? Absolutely. Um, And it's not that, it's like, I should have learned geometry first. And then algebra is the, is the way that I understand the the more deeply, the different elements, right? But I, I have trouble disconnecting elements from other elements. Like my, my, my thinking style just is, it's like, I don't, I struggle with that. Right. I totally understand Um, that. And, uh, you know, that's a set. I digress obviously, but I digress all the time. No, no, no. But I think that's, I think that is part of it. And I think that comes back to like divination, systems Mm -hmm. theory, ecology, synthesis, consilience, like all of these things are part of this moment right now. Mm -hmm. They're essential parts of this moment right now. They're essential parts of our survival. Yeah. Like the linear thinking has, we've come like, that's, (laughs) we've come to the end that that's a flat earth theory. We're dropping off the edge of that reality. Mm -hmm. We have dropped off the edge. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so now where are we landing? Mm -hmm. Where, where are we going to find ground again from that groundlessness of this catastrophe that we've created for our species and for other species? Like, are we going to have enough compassion and courage to, for intimacy mm-hmm. with the more than human world? Are we going to have the courage to decentralize humans? Are we going to have the courage to the humility mm-hmm. and courage to right. be part of the world as we actually are? And can we get out of our an- anxieties and uh, path- pathologizing our thoughts and all these things and just like, let go of it, like just soften. Mm-hmm. Just like br- bring back that yin and like, and right now it's like, it's almost like we're d- summoning the yin with a vengeance because like the resistance to her is so strong. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's going to, it's like coming up like a geyser you know, <laughs> instead of like a, mm-hmm. a spring, which is a bummer because it could come like a spring, but man, each person needs to admit they're fucking thirsty. Right. Wow. I'm really like all about metaphors today. <laughs> Oh, that's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. Yeah. I, I, so I am, am sort of building a hypothesis of transrational divination right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the basic premise behind it is that divination is not, so we've been thinking backwards, right, about how divination works. It is not, um, like, there's different types of causality, and I won't go into different types of causality. Um, mostly because like I'm not super well learned on the different types of causality but um we have like an assumption that people like diviners and a lot of diviners also make this this assumption right that there's so there's like a heuristic that we have where we assume two things are related right um we but we don't know how they're related um and so the acausal representational thinking is that like, I don't know how these things are related. I don't know if they are. I know that if I imagine a relationship between them, this leads me somewhere. This leads me to an insight. As, so it's basically the as within, so without, or as above, so below, right? We're not trying to build a bridge between the two things. Um, and that, so that's where the acausality part comes out. And then the representational part is that you are recognizing something within right. yourself 
um, you're seeing it outside of yourself, right? Um, I would, it's easier if I give an example. So like I, I, I do this with astrology all the time, right? Because astrology can be spooky, right? And so like we rationalized it away as like, a, oh yeah, well, the planets don't have an effect on your XYZ, right? And it's like, okay, well, we can't necessarily prove or disprove that. But what we can do is we can notice correspondences between what we're experiencing and what's arising and the meaning that has been constructed over time over thousands of years right this is like a chain of meaning that affects us and the way we think about the world even if we don't uh have like a scientific theory of proving that there's an actual physical effect um there's like a meaning construction effect or habit that has been built that we're not separate from, right? Absolutely. Because um, the way we construct meaning is not just like, oh, I've decided that I am going to make meaning in this way because I'm a, a very special human being. It's like, we oh, I know people who learn. Well, we you learn know. to make meaning <laughs> in the context, right? We learn to make meaning in the context of all these other meaning makers, right? That were influenced by the other meaning makers that were then influenced by other meaning makers. Um, and... You know, that's why, that's, you know, why, and obviously this, this, this is like uh, an idea that's, that's still forming, but. Well, this uh, is why I think divination is so interesting because, and I think why I, why the I Ching is my main source of divination is because it, it's, it's free of figures and forms for the most part. Like there are just a few solid forms like the cauldron and the well, um, so it has the energetic seeds of all of our mythologies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been around for five, 5,000 years, which is an incredible span of time considering human history. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and it was, start, it's been in active use for like 2,500 years. And it was for a long time, just kept by Kings and courts to, to be able to stage military coups and uh, claim power, you know, usurp power and the layer of Confucian paternalism that was laid over it for so long was just a travesty to the, to the whole field of yin. That's obviously half of it, but was completely villainized for, for centuries. So once we uncover all of that stuff and kind of bring it back to those roots that it had of like the cracks on turtle shells and the meaning making that people do of like this confluence of nature and this turtle shell and this human meaning making impulse, Mm -hmm. like everything we do, everything we are comes from that, Mm -hmm. from that kind of seed. And this is like a seed that you don't even know have, have to have an alphabet. It's an open line or a closed line. And the way you combine those open and closed lines, like there could be no more primal seed than that. Mm-hmm. And so what we build from that is, is, is our own. And there's like so many connections with, you know, DNA and like DNA pairs and like, you know, there's 64 hexagrams. And so, and the way that our world has been emerging technologically from zeros and ones, like I can't help but feel the resonance between that and the teaching as well. Like, that who we, we still have so much choice, you know, and how we surrender and how, how much of those external, how much of that external conditioning that's based on power 
and based on oppression and based on hoarding energy and not allowing currency to be free in any of its meanings. Like how much of that do we have to collude with intimately in our own personal lives and collectively? Do you know what I mean? And I think it's, for me, like the work that I do, I come from the belief of like, that Mary Poppins is the greatest bodhisattva of the 21st century. That like, that you do it intimately. Mm-hmm. It's done, this, this work is done intimately. I'm no right. social justice warrior. Right. I don't right. believe you do it that way. I, I believe you just put people back on the drama triangle and you end up in rescuing, which requires there to be a victim. And it's just a reiteration of oppression. So much of social justice to me isn't like you need that person below you in order to be the warrior you are. And fuck that, fuck that paradigm. It's like like we're, um, so I, this reminds me, so I wrote a song. um, I'll I'll actually link to the song in the, in the description, the YouTube description. I wrote a song about um, family constellations and the drama triangle. And one of the, Uh. one of the lines was we swap roles on the points of a triangle. And that, oh, totally. I see that a lot uh, in, um, totally. in social justice is that like, we're just, we're just deciding that we want someone else on top of the hierarchy now, instead of right. realizing, right. And so it's, it's kind of like right. um, this false victory, right? Cause oh, it's gross. wins because you realize, exactly. you realize, right. When you are in a position of social privilege, you realize how empty it can be. Right. Um, and when you're not in that position of social privilege on the outside, it can seem like it's the greatest thing in the world. And we don't realize that like the human condition is the human condition, no matter what social position you're in. And if we're really wanting to, to reharmonize, uh, and come into a place of homeostasis, right. With the planet, because the planet itself is the, is the organism and we're, we are like microorganisms on this greater organism, just like there are microorganisms living on our skin, right? In my armpits. <laughs> right? <laughs> on my asshole. Yeah. I right? contain multitudes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I contain biological and metaphorical exactly. multitudes. Right? Exactly. And so does the planet. And so we're in this space now where we're like trying to still, we're trying to just swap roles on the on you know the points of this triangle instead of leaving the triangle reconstructing it like let let's (laughs) can it be a hexagram instead of a triangle like can we create more like different roles that are better embodiments of the same archetypes right because i don't think that's going to be our creation i think that's going to be a shift to allowing emergence Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I don't think that is going to be our creation based on the capacity that we have at the moment. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Do you want to say more about that? Um, I think like our sense of our sense of specialness, our sense of uniqueness is uh, I, what I mean, look at any myth. Hubris always brings the downfall. Right. And the fact that we have so completely centered ourselves and privileged our consciousness and uh, put ourselves as like the the very clumsy shepherds of all life from the from the the biblical influence on our culture it's like wow no <laughs> let's be more like the bee there's so much to learn from the bee mm-hmm. i mean like some people type, sometimes people ask me like why is there a bee in your podcast thing like why is that your podcast image i was like listen and figure it out 
Uh-huh. Like we, you, you have a choice in how you respond to the bee. Is it like something you're scared of? Is it something you're, is it an enemy mm-hmm. or is it a miracle? Mm-hmm. And I think that's so true of anything that we're encountering in the more than human world. Is this an enemy or a miracle? And we do seem to like get caught in that binary of like everything out there is either an enemy or a miracle. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's us. Like we are the bee. Mm-hmm. We are the peony we are in that system. And like, once we get humble enough to fucking acknowledge that and be intimate with that, then like the next step is not going to be our creation. It's going to be emergent. That's, that's the game B thing. That's the heart of game B for me. Why, which is why I find that so fascinating. It is about like just being able to continue to play the game. And I think that applies to romantic relationships as well. Like, that's why I think like all of these things, like wherever you want to step into any of this philosophy on any level, it seems to always come back to intimacy and emergence for me. Mm-hmm. How willing am I to be intimate and surrendered enough to, to be, to emerge and to let that into my whole body, like the, just that ecological erotic emergence, like that I am not attached to any preference here. Mm-hmm. I am blown open, fucked open by the world, like a fucking peony. <laughs> to welcome whatever face or aunt or whatever being wants to bury its face. And am I willing to be that fragrant, that magnetic, that open Mm -hmm. to the world? Cause that's a, that can be a terrifying prospect to be as lush as a peony, as brazen as a fucking peony. They have no shame. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. meaty, fragrant, just they can barely stand up by themselves. They're like kind of clumsy. They're like, oh my God, I'm so fucking luscious. I can barely keep my fucking head up. Oh, like, right. like the Jessica rabbit of the plant world or something. They are, they are, they really, really are. And like, as somebody who like often assembles hoops to put on them just so they can stay upright, you know, hey, hold, pull yourself together. Yeah, exactly. Pull yourself together. Peony. God damn it. Come on. Like, Oh, it's just like the, like, to me, that is like the, the floral, the ultimate floral expression of yin. It's just like, Right. And that's right. why you can't help but bury your face in it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to put its hand behind your head and push your face into it. Right. You can't wait to bury your face in yeah. a pee just by its absolute, by it opening so completely and so lusciously to its essential nature. Yeah. I think it's hard for us to trust magnetism and spontaneous oh. order. And those are like the elements that are called like require surrender, right? Uh, right. Well, Hannah did that great post yesterday about hooks and magnets. And I was like, oh, that lands. That's interesting. Yeah, That one was especially um, di- actually quite difficult for me to read because mm-hmm. um, like, I'll keep it vague, but sometimes people choose the hooks and they fear the magnets because the hooks yeah. don't feel good, but they feel safe. Yes. Right? And right. If you know that if you know that you would lose something, if you let it go, you claim, of course you're going to cling to it. Right. Right. And uh, that's, I think that's when, like in my own personal experience, that's when I cling. Yeah. That's when the anxious attachment buried so deep in me comes out. Like when I'm, when I fall out of secure attachment into anxious, like 
it's because I, I don't want the impending loss to be real. Like when I get that tingle burn at the back of my throat, like that tin can tang that just like spreads from the back of my throat down my chest. Yeah. I know, I know that is the, that is the sensation of impending loss and like that first harbinger of heartbreak. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am actually in a place right now where I'm having like an interesting experience of like letting go voluntarily for the first maybe time. Right. Mm. And I'm pretty young, right? Like I'm 26. Mm. So like I talk, I, sometimes I speak like I've been alive for thousands of years because it genuinely feels that way. Well, I think uh, you probably have. Welcome well, back. <laughs> nice to see you again. <laughs> <laughs> Almost every like older woman that I've connected with on the, on the internet in the past year and a half has to me. <laughs> Well, it's clear, right? We haven't seen you in so long. (laughs) Do you do anything with the Akashic Records? Do you do anything with Akashic Records? Um, That's a really interesting thing that I would love to talk about because that's my like transrational divination and uh, transrational oracles. Um, sort of that idea that's been forming in my head since like, you know, ever since I was a child, I've like had crazy dreams and then like three years later, they come true. So I need Uh to try to make sense of that, you know, without being like mm-hmm. letting that feed my ego into I'm some kind of special or or oracle at Delphi type of character. I'm like, you know what? I bet that this is incredibly common and we don't know how to rationalize it yet. So we just pretend it's not happening. And like and we don't know how to necessarily access it. But it again, like this is also in Buddhism, like the idea of of storehouse consciousness is runs deep in Buddhism. And it's like one of the slipperier and slipperier and more esoteric things to try to understand because it is like, like a, like a tissue paper, like an onion skin layer of reality over the absolute that like stretches over space and time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh, like the whole history of causes and conditions. It's like, right. wow, yeah. that is quite a sea to be paddling on. <laughs> Right. Oh, Think about it, right? Like you make we, so this, I don't know if you're familiar with Nora Bateson's Aphanopoasis. Aphanopoasis uh, no. is like a really beautiful uh, concept for why we might not understand why something like, for example, climate change um, or uh, someone, you know, you break up and you don't see it coming. And then in hindsight, you realize, right? Oh, <laughs> this was setting up for a long time, right? Because of phanopoiesis um, is just this property of a system where you you can't, like there's so much going on that's unseen. We're always almost, we're almost always only seeing the tail end of something that's been manifesting and building through relationships with elements in the system that we're just, our consciousness, our, our waking consciousness is just right. not designed to see that. Because we- I love the way, I love the way Dogen puts this. Yeah. Like Dogen, yeah. the Zen, the Zen dude, yeah. um, he wrote this thing called the Genjo Koan. And he, there's this section in the Genjo Koan that's about, you know, you paddle out into the ocean and you see a circle and you think that circle is the ocean. Mm-hmm. I got news for you. I'm paraphrasing here. That circle is not the ocean, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but you're still on the ocean. Yeah. But what you're yep. seeing, your sense gates are, are, di- our sense gates are designed for this embodied life to be the limiters. Our mind is one of those limiters, as it says in the heart switcher, like mind is another sense gate. Yeah. It's an, it's another limiter so that we can navigate this relative world. Right. But are we willing to swing open those gates and be in both? 
Mm-hmm. And realizing that we are already emerging from that bigger field all the time anyway. Right. And what, right. And, and what, what does that do to our sense of responsibility for all the other emergent beings, the human and non-human? Mm-hmm. Like that yeah. is a tremendous responsibility. And it makes it, for me, it really, when I took the Bodhisattva vows, it really put into perspective for me what this life was for. Like I had a lot of like crazy experiences early on, like in meditation and outside meditation. And I think that's what really drove me to addiction and feeling like, well, what what the fuck is this embodied life even for? Mm -hmm. Like, this is so dumb. (laughs) I hate it. I don't feel like I belong here. What am I even fucking doing here? I hate this. Mm -hmm. Like, this is nothing, but I see nothing but ignorance and misery all around me, including in myself. And like, why bother? Mm -hmm. Like, I really was deep into nihilism and addiction. Mm -hmm. And then like, it was like, uh, and then I found a teacher who was like, oh, it's for this. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, that's the thing too, is that like, if you don't go into the void, you can't, it's a requirement going through the, it void. is a requirement, you know, yeah. and Joseph Campbell, he's gotten a lot of flack for his monomyth, obviously, because you can't really reduce, I mean, you can, but you can't, if that makes sense. Um, I think the like monomyth is a useful template, but it's not a universal, I would say, mm-hmm. um, but it's a template that you see, it's a structure, a story that right. the buildings Roman, for example, the coming of age novel, like follows that structure pretty, pretty closely. Um, and that's important, right? Because like we all experience growing from a child to an adult and then we old age. Of the oh, and that's, and that's, that's the beauty of geometry. That's the beauty yeah. of the I Ching, like right. those structure, those inherent structures that like are the, are the blueprint of this relative world. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, so he, so there, there's that part where you go into the void, right. And um, you know, just before you're about to like cross a threshold, a guard, a, there's a threshold guardian. Right. And that's a, an experience that I wouldn't say everyone has. Some people need to be their own threshold guardian. I've had experiences where like, um, you know, when I was first diagnosed with depression when I was 16 or 15 or 16, right. My threshold guardian was my therapist um Mm. because she recognized like that what I was going through was normal and being pathologized by the society right and I wanted Mm. to pathologize myself because I was like I needed an explanation for what was going on I was being told something was wrong with me or I was getting the implication that something was wrong with me now I don't think that now I think that like my depressive episodes are thresholds right absolutely always come at a time where like I am experiencing such a intense ego death, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I think that resistance to ego death and the lack of a threshold guardian, be it internal or external, because sometimes I've had to be my own threshold guardian um, through these periods, right? Um, last year, I had to be my own threshold guardian. Um, but there's always sort of like a meeting with a mentor, right? Um that either either archetypally or actually um, tangibly, um, and if we don't have that, we struggle to pass through the void. We either avoid the void, yeah. or we get stuck in the void, right? And getting through the void is this is going to be a huge part of my rituals, like the long term container that I'm doing. Um, towards the end, we're going to have like an experience of like going into the void. I'm going to guide people into vo- into the void, beyond the void, and then back through, right? um as a way of kind of like seeing contextualizing the void seeing what it's for right why well, like, it's for nourishment it's a nourisher yeah yeah 
And it's also what it, it's a nourisher in the same way that like uh, working out, or this is my personal experience, but it's in the same way that like you're going for a run and you reach that point where you think you can't do it anymore. And just after you push through that point, that's the point where you get the dopamine and endorphin rush. And it's also the point where your muscles are like getting they're at that damage threshold where they're getting uh-huh. just the right amount of damage where they can get stronger. Right. Yep. And that's what the void is for. It's the, it's sort of like that point of like damage and fragmenting yourself so that you become threshold. antifragile, right? Yeah, long, you fall apart completely. Uh, and if you don't go in there, you, you may, you become fragile, right? You don't strengthen, you can't continue. And yeah. that's, and that's a yin imbalance too. Yeah. Mm-hmm when there's so much, so much yin without any kind of container. Right. Yeah. Well said. Like that, 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 um, penetrative energy to get you over that threshold, to get you through the threshold. That's a very, that's a very young moment. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Yeah. That, that meditation is, I don't want to like totally spoil it for people, but I'm excited about it. But like that, like enter the void meditation, um, once you pass the void, you go into a garden, right? You go into a garden and you meet with an elder and the elder passes you a torch and mm. you take the torch through the void and the void's very cold and mm. um, you're like trying to not get stuck in the void, right? So how do you keep the flame lit through the void and pass over to the other side, bring the flame through the void, right? It's like, how the meditation goes, but, um, maybe I'll cut no, that. But the, <laughs> you won't need it's to interesting know. you say, how, how do you not get stuck in the void? Because right. to me, it's like, if I surrender to the void, it will guide me out. Right. Like I don't right. have to struggle there. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think a mistake that comes up in a lot of people that I work with is like, there, there's this need to villainize it, that it's crazy or lazy, like that the yin is so dangerous. Mm-hmm. that that touching that erotic pulse of ruin is so dangerous. Yeah. It's a deep programming. And I think it's also, there's, there is a real danger there, right? Like I, I would there- almost argue that there, there is danger there and that the, there needs yeah. to be danger there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right? Like winter is dangerous. Winter right. itself yeah. is dangerous. Yeah. And yet also Rock precious. Is dangerous. Rock climbing is dangerous. Apparently ice skating is dangerous, but yeah. it doesn't, <laughs> I still do it. <laughs> yep. People like this all the time in ice skating accidents. I hear, I, I heard that, I hear about that a lot in like the, uh, like Victorian or post, I don't know what, um, who's okay. It was, what's his name? Uh, J.M. Barry's older brother died in an ice skating accident. Oh my God. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. Ice skating is dangerous as fuck, yeah, especially if you're skating on ponds. Skating in that era. <laughs> so. If you're, if you're skating on like raw ice, like wild ice. Yeah. It's bumpy sometimes. And if you're like, just having a great time and you're out there and you hit, you come down hard, like that ice can be like concrete. Yeah. Knock your head out on that ice. Or you can reach a fragile point, you know, if it's a warm day and the ice is melting. Oh, falling right? into the ice. Yeah. That, that, the ice. Yeah. You're wearing a lot of heavy stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fun. You're down like an anchor. Down. It's God, that's terrifying, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And that's, that's, I think that's a, that's a, the shadow of the void, right? Is that it's like so magnetic, right? 
that if yeah, you, but look, anybody, like in almost all myths, like there's treasure hidden at the bottom of the lake. Like if you look at like Nagarjuna, I don't know why I'm so hip. Like I'm all about the Buddhism today. It's, <laughs> it's yeah, a deep part of my practice, but not usually like a lot of what I talk about. But like Nagarjuna had to go to the realm of the Nagas to get the Prajnaparamita sutras. Like so, yeah. he had to go to the bottom of the lake yeah. to ask yeah. the dragon for the pearl, basically. Yeah. But yeah. without that peril, there is no character. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Tyson Porter's number one critique of the game initiation to game B film was that it wasn't really an initiation because an initiation typically requires some sort of sacrifice, right? Some sort of game. Oh, God. But, you know. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But haven't we made, haven't we collectively sacrificed catastrophically already? Do we each yeah. need to? Yeah. Do you know what I, I mean? Like we have implied. come to that crisis point. Yeah. I felt it was implied in the beginning where it's like mm -hmm. the pioneer is recognizing that. And I'll have to link to this so people know what I'm talking about. They haven't seen oh, it. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like everyone who would be watching this episode would have seen it by now, but just magic. And I'm over here talking, <laughs> viewing <laughs> web, web jargon to people who just like don't you know, because it's we we want this like emergence movement to penetrate every right pore of the planet, right? That that's the that's the hope. Penetrate, hope. penetrate, or permeate. Yeah. I think we've done a lot of penetrating and could use a little more permeating. Yeah, sure, permeating. Um, uh, it needs to be expansive. It needs to not just be uh -huh. this fun thing where it's just like these 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 people all talking to each other. Um, that's why it's really great that I kind of ha have you on here. Cause I feel like I want, I, I don't want it to just be, I'm interviewing like the five guys that everyone knows. Right. Right. Um, this, I think it, I think it needs to, that conversation needs to open. Yeah. Yeah. It's bigger. It's, it's something that's going on in the arts right now. Something that's going on in politics right now, something that's going on in philosophy right now. And, um, it's already permeating everywhere. It just, it we need to like, we need to redefine, uh, I, I think what, what we think it means for a movement to happen. Yeah, I, yeah, I think we need to allow it to redefine us. That too. You know, that comes back to like, do, is it ours to create or is it ours to, you know, it's, it's kind of how I felt like when I see NGOs like going to dig a well in a village where the women have gone down to the river for like four generations and that's where they exchange information and all that stuff. But the NGO thinks they've done a great thing because they've just built a well. Mm -hmm. Like, can, can we listen first? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, I do. Yeah. I was just rather than be like, oh, game B, let's define it. Let's figure it out. Let's uh, decide what that is so that we can decide who's on team game B and who isn't. Uh -huh. Who's allowed? Who's allowed to play game B and who is not? <laughs> it's like game A, A premium or something, but it's not actually yeah. premium game. Yeah. A. Exactly. yeah, get a subscription to Game B Prime or Game A Prime. Um, it's so much. It's so much more worth it than game regular game free game A, right? Your, your game A trial has expired. <laughs> And that is the truth right there. <laughs> yeah. Henry Andrews of uh, the, the hella metamodernism kind of thing, uh, which is like a 
not so much a new thing as like Henry Andrews has decided to coin this term as a joke, as you would, um, <laughs> in order to, um, they, they made a point to state that they are uh, not, and I'll link to uh, their, their, their talk on the Mutations podcast too in the description so that people can get some idea of what hell of metamodernism um, I would like to get an idea of what it is. Yeah, I will yeah. submit to you too. But um, it's essentially the, the most important thing I think that Andrews has stated about what they're calling experiential metamodernism is that they are not creating it, they are discovering it, right? Absolutely. Uh, so it's it's more about- I think, that, that, yeah, I, I think that cannot be stated enough. Like, I think that is so vital to this particular historical moment. Yeah. I, I think of it as listening like a whale, like listening with your whole skin mm -hmm. and just really being in that briny, not knowing, you know, mm -hmm. and just like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And that's what happens, right? When nothing makes sense. And so there's this kind of like sense-making movement right because we're gonna we're it's defined as a sense-making crisis and it's like yeah we're in the void like nothing makes sense in the void <laughs> right it's a, it's a sense-making crisis that might it would be it is really a summoning to there's a summoning to surrender under it right like stop stop insisting on making sense right and allow the next form of sense to emerge Right. But be in that boundlessness first, like be, yeah. allow, allow things to dissolve so that they may reform. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's not even like making sense of the world is a bad thing because like, no, oh, we're God, designed, no. we're designed to make, no, we all do it all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've forgotten uh, that our maps are not the territory. Right. So we've yeah. like, We've, we've forgotten what the territories actually feels like and, and looks like because we're, we're so busy looking at the map. I mean, like- Well, we've, oh, we've, our, map, our map is of a human of a human centric territory. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the fundamental problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's not very detailed. There's a lot of details missing, right, from the map. We're all the cartographers and the explorers, right? Because we're kind of like, we're shedding skin and then we're, we're growing- and 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 uh we need to be willing to almost like step into as many roles as we possibly can um, how can we be explorers without uh goals colonial goal, goals that's a really good question um uh this is this kind of goes into the mythology of my bardic name actually <laughs> if you want to want to hear that right so like yeah i kind of do <laughs> leader wiley right is because like um this idea of a trickster right so what is it and this is like i guess this is kind of like my uh ethnic like west african kind of influence on my psyche right so the trickster is like a very interesting character um do you know what country do you know what country genetically I, you're from i do not i feel uh -huh. like a, a a strange affinity with molly but i i can't claim it because oh I my god can we talk about the dogon and molly Yes, I've spent time, yes, I've yes, spent time there, and it's I love incredible. That, like, the, dog, the dog star mythology. Yes, that is always so powerful. I actually people. saw a supernova over my ex boyfriend's shoulder eating spaghetti in a village in Mali in two thousand five. 
Wow. Like I saw, I watched a star ex- expand yeah. and disappear over his shoulder. Oh. It was the most, for, like, first of all, that whole place is just incredible. I mean, I know it's, there's, there's a lot of conflict there now, but like right. when I was there, it was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And it was so fun. Mm-hmm. And just like the places where the elders go, th- like they're carved and they have these low, low roofs because their feeling is that you can't get angry if, if you're sitting down on the ground. So the elders <laughs> only meet under these shelters carved with like they're out, like the alligators and the primordial couple with like, like the elders sit under a low shelter surrounded by their cosmology, mm-hmm. the symbols and the archetypes of their, of their cosmology right there on the ground. And I thought like, I remember when I first saw it, I was just like, wow, like this is what, how Congress should meet. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is how we, all, all leadership should happen under such a structure, right? Like sitting right. on yeah. the ground Finding with the symbols of your place. And that sounds, Absolutely. yeah, that sounds like in our culture, being put in your place sounds like a, like a negative thing, right? Because it assumes dominance hierarchy, right? But like being put in no, it's like place, context. Yeah, being put in your place, what the way I see it is like knowing where you belong mm-hmm. in context mm-hmm. so that you're, you know, if I am- It's actually an opening to belonging. It's an opening yeah. to belonging. I, I, I want to answer, not, uh, I wanna answer your question. Really good question. How do we be explorers outside of this sort of like colonial yeah. stuff? Like that's because that's a really important question, right? So like the reason why like I took the name scout or scout leader is because um, the etymology of the word scout, right? It, it comes from a French term meaning to listen, right? And so a scout, that's a role um, when you're, say, yeah. yeah, the scouts are the ones who are like listening to nature, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and reading, um, reading the field right and then mm-hmm. communicating what's going on in the field to everyone else so that they the they can keep everyone safe right so it's a particular kind of leadership role um mm-hmm. it's very non-violent right so explorer is not necessarily the same as conquistador right so like there's ex- exploration with the intention to dominate and then there's exploration with the intention to connect and uh, and inform Uh, and harmonize and that's what a scout does right so um there's this really good talk this ted talk that talks about like scout thinking versus warrior thinking right so warrior thinking is like when we're on a mission it's not necessarily bad but it's like we're looking for something and so we will find it because we're so intent to find it that we will find it whereas a scout uh the way that a scout looks for information is uh it's it's the scientific method it's we're letting reality reveal itself to us and then we're taking what reality gives us and we're finding a way to make connections, right? So that we can figure out where we belong in that context, right? So there's there's a, an intention of cohesion um, and that's sort of the exploration that I'm, I'm advocating for, right? As opposed to like, uh, we're exploring to figure out like where we can decide that we wanna put our flag, right? This is ours now. Bizarre's now like yeah, that. That's, yeah. That's the conquistador side of the explorer. Right. It's trying, trying to make nature its bitch. Right. Right. Like right. I found it. It's mine. Right. Right. <laughs> instead, of like, instead of like being nature's um, exquisite devoted lover. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Exploration with a sense of devotion. Totally. Right. Totally. Like yeah. that's a, that's a much more yin approach. Like 
well like it 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 is is. Mm -hmm. it's not like uh just like we're coming to penetrate this place it's like well we're coming because we're following a homing signal Mm -hmm. we're following a homing signal that we can't see we can only feel Mm -hmm. wow i i'm gonna end it here i'm gonna end the recording here um okay (laughs) I'm going to cut this part out, but I'm going to end the recording here because I think that was a really good exit and we're a little, okay. just, I like to keep them short. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like intimidated, but um, I would love to keep talking for a little while afterwards too. Okay. And also, okay. um, we'll, we'll talk about like uh, links and stuff that you want me, like, obviously I'm going to link to your podcast. I'm going to, um, yeah, and, the website and the podcast that, that works. Yeah. Website, podcast. And, oh, and maybe the Amazon page for the book. Yeah. yeah. That's what I've been doing in the newsletter, but um, yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah, so thank you so much for um, for talking with me today. This was a real conversation. <laughs> oh my God, it is yeah. such a pleasure to talk to you. It's so fun. It is so fun. Like I love running the whole range. I just love it. <laughs> yeah. No, me too. And you have so much wisdom and potency and, um, and uh, bravery, right? You're just like willing to show up and not shut the fuck up. And I love that about you. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's, now that's a spiral, that's a spiral path for you right there. Yeah. <laughs> you have been listening to the Oscillator Stone podcast featuring Ray Hans. For more of Ray's work, check the links in the show notes and stay tuned for next week's episode, which will feature Michael Author on cults and culture. You can sign up for the Oscillator Stone newsletter and get future episodes sent to your email at scoutrainawiley.substack.com. Thanks again. Bye!